0: Welcome to everybody, especially to Jackie and Julie from Victoria Park, who've trekked across the city. <laughs> In this weather. In this weather, yes. <laughs> so it's not very warm. Right, so let's, uh, let's pray first, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your wonderful word. We thank you most particularly for the book of Psalms, which provides um, poetry and vocabulary for us to, to say everything we might possibly want to say to you. And we ask that you will help us tonight to understand your word better, and to be better equipped to use it, and to teach it, and to live it. Amen. Amen. <coughs> okay, what was the psalm then? For an extra truffle, what was the psalm? <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> yeah, who was, who was the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> who, who was the... Who was the composer? The composer. Mm. Very well known, you'll have heard of him. No. (laughs) It's Duke Ellington. Yeah, supposed to be very famous. You get an extra trouble. No, you don't. (laughs) Okay, good. Well, for those who were here last time, um, we talked a bit about how to read a psalm. In fact, many people who were here last time, rather, just a couple, Um, talked about how to read a psalm, looking at the poetry of it. And this time we're going to look a bit more at the theology of the Psalms and sort of the whole, the whole Psalter, really. the Psalter being the, um, the Book of Psalms. So we're going to look at some of the quest- these questions. Uh, we're going to look at how the Psalms fit together, um, what we can learn about God from the Psalms, and just touch, really, I mean, I'm, going to, I'm only going to touch on anything because these are huge subjects, um, just touch on some thoughts about how we can use the Psalms as a lament, about what we do with the psalms of violence, and about how we read the psalms with regard to Jesus. So a few, a few thoughts on each, really, just to uh, get us started. But To start us off, here's, here's a quotation from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who says, the, so- the Psalter filled the life of early Christianity, but more important than all of this is that Jesus died on the cross with the words from the psalms on his lips. Whenever the Psalter is abandoned, an incomparable treasure is lost to the Christian Church. With its recovery will come unexpected power. So we'll let those words linger in our thoughts, perhaps as, as we read on. So we're going to start first of all by thinking about the Psalter as a whole book um, and how that might shape our understanding of individual psalms when we read them. Um, so if we flick on a couple of uh, things for me, Susanna, uh, or the next one. Yeah, thank you. Um, so this is, this is Walter Brueggemann's quite well-known classification of the Psalms. And he says all Psalms fall into, well, most Psalms fall into one of these three categorizations. So first of all, you've got the Psalms of Orientation. And these are the Psalms where there's no tension, there's no stress, there's no angst. It's Psalms of a settled people in the land, knowing God's their God, and everything's all right. Um, Psalm 23 is probably quite a good example of that. Because um, there isn't really any tension there. Yes, I walk through the valley of the de- shadow of death, but you're there with me, everything's fine, sort of thing. Um, so that's the Psalms of, of, of orientation. And then you've got the Psalms he calls, the Psalms of dislocation. And the Psalms of, the Psalms of dislocation um, realise that, that things are not as, as they should be. There's a sense of, of this is how it should be and, and this is how it is and, 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 and it's not right. Um, so the old orientation has, has collapsed for whatever reason. Um, and a good example of that would be perhaps Psalm 22, which we're going to touch on a bit later anyway. Um, and their ways of, of expressing um, the, the dissonance between what should be and what is. And then you've got the Psalms of reorientation. Um, which is psalms that have that transcend what is going on <clears throat> and reaffirm their faith in God. So they're psalms with a presence of tension, still written in those difficult situations, but 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 moving through that into faith despite the situations. Um, I should have thought of a good example. You'll find many, but I can't immediately pluck one out of the air. So that's, that's Bueggemann's classification of the psalms and I think, I think it's quite a helpful one for us to think about as, as we read them. Um, and, um, and what Brueggemann says is that we move on this sort of cycle with the psalms. Come on in Dave, let's uh, have it, grab a thing and, and a truffle and <coughs> Bueggemann says we move, we move on this cycle with the psalms and if we say we start here. So we start with psalms that... Um, that then are a call to praise, and then we move around to psalms that, that declare de- praise and, and describe praise. I'm not quite clear on the difference between those three. But then we move around, having declared who God is, then we start to realise that things aren't as they should be, given that God is who he is. And so we move from, from praise to lament. And then from lament, we move to plea very naturally. And then we see God move, we see God act. We realise again who God is, and we move back around once again to praise. And he says this isn't a circle in fact, this is a spiral because um, each journey around it leaves the believer a different person from whom who they started off being at the beginning of the cycle. And each time they get a little bit closer to the heart of God as they go around. Spiralling up. upwards, yes. <laughs> or inwards, whichever way you like to look at it. <laughs> I suppose, it if you go the other way. <laughs> so that's, um, that's Brueggemann's way of... Uh, but are you
1: saying that
2: that's how they set out? Well,
0: no. That's, that's one way of reading them. That's one way of reading them. This is a bit more about how they're set out. Next slide. Um, the Psalms are, are divided into five books. Um, and if you look in most Bibles, most Bibles will, ha- will mark them out, them out for you. So if you look at Psalm 42, you'll see it says the beginning of book two, um, and so on. And, um, and these books have their own character. The Psalms aren't just randomly chucked in. But each each of the books has its own character, and we'll look at that a bit more in a minute. Each of the books um, of the Psalms ends with a doxology. So, for example, um, Psalm 89, at the end of the third book, finishes with these words: "Blessed be the Lord forever and ever, Amen and Amen." Doxology is a is, is a breaking out of praise, if you like. Psalm 106, at the end of the fourth book says, um, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord. And, and similarly, each, each book ends with this little bit of doxology, some longer and some shorter. And in fact, you might argue that the final, the final five psalms are a concluding doxology to the whole thing. Because the final five songs are a pure praise. There's generally speaking, as you go through the book, there's a movement from lamentation towards praise. Some people have said, there are five books of the Psalms, and there are five books of the Torah, of the law. And that these five books of the Psalms, in some way, are meant to reflect the five books of the law. We're given five books of law, and then we respond with five books of Psalms. Now, Psalms 1 and 2 are very special, and they're not there at the beginning by accident. Um, So we just flick to Psalms 1 and 2 for a minute. Psalms 1 and 2 serve really as introductions to the whole book. Um, and they say this is, what, um, this is what the book's about, really, I guess. So why doesn't someone read Psalm 1 and someone reads Psalm 2? And we'll just reflect on that for, for a minute.
1: Blessed is, is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. For his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thank you. And Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son, Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him.
2: Thank you.
0: So Psalm 1 is, <coughs> is about the individual believer meditating on God's law um, and provides that that title, as it were, to the Psalms as, a <coughs> um, as, as, as something precious to the believer, something on which one, one, one will use, one will meditate, and as, as, a, as an invitation to become deeply grounded in God as you go through the, the Psalter. Um, Psalm 2 is much more corporate. It's about the king... Um, And it's about the nation, Um, and it's also got hints of um, the kingship of God, which is something that we'll see the Psalms develops as we go through. So it's got uh, this—so much more you could say about these Psalms, but you've you've got these two strands, and it's sort of setting out. This is this is where we're going. This is what the aim is. This is the this is the purpose of it all. These are some hints to um, to help you to read everything else that goes on, to to set our minds in the right in the right frame. I guess that makes sense.
2: If you answer this, if I'm right, who made this anthology? Who
0: this anthology? Didn't, didn't talk about that. No, it's interesting. Um, probably, depends who you believe, probably compiled in the ex- time of exile. Um, but many of the Psalms will predate that, but it's, it's thought that at the time of exile, somebody put that together. And there's quite good reason for thinking that. And actually... That will let's um, let's go on to the next slide because that will perhaps explain why people think it's it's fairly late compilation. So I think all the psalms in book one are explicitly titled as David's Psalms. She says I mean a quick flick. But by and large they, they are they are generally regarded as David's Psalms, and most of them are explicitly titled as such. Um, by the end of book two We've moved from Davidic Psalms to to Solomon. Um, So if we have a quick squeeze at Psalm 72, which is the end of Book 2, you've got what sounds very much like an enthronement psalm for Solomon. Um, Begins, endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness, he will judge your people in righteousness, And, and so on. Um, verse 8, he will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Verse 15, long may he live, and so on. It's it's an enthronement song for Solomon. So you've got this sense that we've moved from David and we've we've moved to the very peak of the empire, really, which was in the days of Solomon when um, there was peace and enormous prosperity. But then things begin to go wrong. Um, By the end of book 3, the king has been rejected by God. Um, As as we know, from Solomon onwards, the, uh, the, the, the kingship begins to disintegrate and, um, and if we have a quick look at Psalm 89, <coughs> the final book of book three, it's quite a long psalm, talks about um, talks about how God established um, his covenant with his people. Um, look at verse, verse three, you said, I've made a covenant with my chosen one, I've sworn to David my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. So it starts with, this is what you said, God dot, 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 look at verse 38. But you have rejected, you have spurned, you've been angry with your anointed one, you have renounced the covenant with your servant, you've defiled his crown in the dust, and so on. So you're getting this sense of progression through history, really, um, that we've moved from David to Solomon to the peak, and now things are disintegrating, and we are now beginning to mourn the disintegration of the empire and the kingship and, and, and everything else. Which is why you get this sense that this is compiled quite late, because some of these psalms sound very much as if they were written in exile at the time that you know, the, the Babylonians the Assyrians have been and, and broken things down. Clearly, Psalm 137, which we're going to look at, the one um, by the waters of Babylon, we, laid down, uh, we hung our, h- our lyres on the poplar trees, clearly written in exile. So if somebody compiled it, they've got to have compiled it quite late. Um, but then in books four and five, we get this growing sense that although the, ki- the human dynasty, the human kingship has failed, um, with this growing realization that actually it, it was God who was king all along. And in, in the final book in particular, there's a, a growing messianic expectation. Um, let's have a quick look at Psalm 90. So that's the beginning of book four. So we've got this this idea of refuge, of God as refuge. Um, Verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. I can't find the other bits now. But this... Well, firstly, because... um, Yeah, it's actually, it's a deliberate reflection back, whether it's written by Moses or not. It's got a very clear... Um, mosaic flavour. It's, it's reminding us of the covenant. It's talking about um, where have we got? It's got imagery that reminds us of Sinai and of law. So now that the title remember is not part of our scripture. That's been written more helpfully by um, probably by the Masoretes much later. Um, so that's their guess at who wrote it. But clearly it's got it's got quite a mosaic flavour to it. Um, so what's happening here is that the compiler is saying, here's a psalm at the beginning of book four, um, where we will, we will root ourselves once more in who we were before ever the kings began. And oh, God was our king then, and he's our king now. And this idea of God as our refuge is actually, God is our kingly refuge. He's the one, um, the, ki- the king and the refuge are very closely bound up images. Um, before David was king God was our refuge and now there is no longer a Davidic king God is still our royal refuge so it's almost got beginning to get an eschatological a sort of, a sort of end times perspective one of, of, of actually things have, have broken down in the, in the present but we, ha- we can trust God into the future right through and that's the sort of that's setting out the theme for the remainder of, of the books um, and if we have a quick look at Psalm 132 which is in about, about in the middle of book 5 Um, And here we can see the the messianic messianic expectation beginning to grow. Um, We've got a reminder of the Davidic covenant, verse 11, the Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath he won't revoke, one of your own descendants I will place on your throne. Look ahead to verse 17, here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but the crown on his head shall be resplendent. So we're starting to get this this anointed expe, anoint, expectation of the Messiah, who is the anointed one, um, which which grows during the uh, during the Psalter. So that's when we read a psalm, it's helpful to think where it's where the compiler has chosen to put it and how that might fit in the scheme of of things. It's also, um, and I haven't made a, a slide about their talk with this or. or um, made much of it but it's also worth looking at the psalms immediately before and after sometimes they're paired so if we go back i think it's to psalms three and four or it might be four and five there's a morning psalm and an evening psalm and they're rather lovely actually and they're rather lovely to use in in that context so psalm four the end of psalm four is an evening psalm i will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone O lord make me dwell in safety um, that's right and the psalm before it sorry psalm 3 is, is, a, is a morning psalm verse 5 I lie down and sleep I wake again because the Lord sustains me so um, so it's, it's worth looking to see and and uh, a number of places you can see there's clear continuity between the, the two psalms and they're meant to be read together or, or read with one another in mind as it were so that's a few thoughts about um, can, can I just clarify what
2: you're saying is that this is important. This book four, their returning basically is about God is acting, not David, not Solomon. God is angry.
0: Yes, it's. I mean, not every psalm will fit into that, but that's the sort of general flavour of, of of where it seems to be going. And you'll get you'll still get lament in there as well, although fewer laments in those more than laments come at the beginning. But um, but yeah, you'll still actually there are quite a few laments in in Psalm book four, aren't there? Few laments in book four actually. So you'll you'll still get those. Yeah, I think there are. <laughs> More laments than psalms of praise in, in the in the Psalter. I'm told, I haven't counted. Okay, so there's a few thoughts about about the Psalter as a whole book and, and how it might help shape our understanding. Um my point too I've rather ambitious said so what do the Psalms teach us about God? <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got one. (laughs) Quite. Um, One of of the books I read said, the Psalms teach us that to live is to worship and to worship is to live. And the two things are so deeply embedded in one another that you can't escape. If you're being a faithful faithful man or woman of the covenant, the two things are are, are, are meshed like that. Um, Let's look at one Psalm and how we might just... Up a few things. Turn, turn me to me Psalm 100. 100 sorry. Um, let's just read this quickly. I'll read it, shall I? Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture enter his gate with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever, his faithfulness continues through all generations. So a lovely psalm, quite a short psalm Um, and a few things that uh, we pick up from from this psalm which actually are themes that we might pick up from elsewhere in the in the Psalter, verse three says this: "Know that the Lord is God." This is a psalm of instruction. This is a psalm that that, that you'll use to, um, to 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 train up your young people. This is a psalm that you'll use to remind yourself of who God is. Um, and what's it teaching us? What does the psalm tell us about the reign of God in verse one and verse five? It's, it's
2: uh, universal.
0: Yes, universal verse 1 and, and, and eternal in verse 5. Now, we talked a little bit about intertextuality last time for those who are here. Intertextuality just means um, places where the text resonates with something that you will know or certainly the original readers would, have, w- would be familiar with from elsewhere in Scripture, usually from an earlier part of Scripture. Um, can you spot anything here? Uh, say in verse 5, can you, does that remind you of anything? elsewhere earlier it's very very familiar isn't it the Lord is good and his love endures forever his faithfulness continues through all generations reminds me of um, God's declaration of who he is to Moses on Sinai it's got resonances of that you know he's the Lord who is who 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 forgives and extends love and mercy to generation after to thousands of generations um There's a a lot of that that particular verse actually but those images, you'll spot those again and again in the Psalms and and they're not going to flag them up in a a way that's that's brash but they're subtle but if we spot them then they enrich our understanding. And notice in verse 3 in particular there's there's this theme of identity. Who is God? God? God is the Lord, God is the King He's the loving one, the good one, the faithful one and who are we? And it roots us, our own identity, in who God is. We're his people, the sheep of his pasture. We're his creation. Um, Walter Brueggemann says this about this psalm. He says, Obviously our world is at the edge of insanity and we with it. Inhumaneness is developed as a scientific enterprise. Greed is celebrated as economic advance. Power runs unbridled to destructiveness. <coughs> in a world like this one this psalm is an act of sanity whereby we might be reclothed in our rightful minds life is no longer self-grounded without thanks but rooted in thanks and we discover who we are and we discover once again who we are when we read psalms like this I ask a question. Uh,
2: which may be irrelevant. <coughs> in verse 4, it got, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And I just had a quick breeze through some of the other Psalms around it. And there seem to be temple or worship references there. Is, having gone from David through Solomon, through failure to this, God is king, is there a new emphasis on the temple here?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know, I just
0: Which, which book are we in? In Psalm 100? Fourth. There might well be. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't delved into that enough to know. There's certainly a number of what are called so- Psalms of Ascent, which you'll have noticed. And those are Psalms used by the pilgrims as they came up to Jerusalem, like, like the one you were talking about this morning, Dave. Um, so whether this, this might be, I guess, one of these or something related, but whether that's a particular emphasis in, in these latter books is an interesting question. I, I don't know the answer. Let's have a little think about um, Psalms of Lament. uh, So anyone else want to make any comments or questions at the moment? Okay, let's have a think about Psalms of Lament. And these are a few thoughts, um, some other people's and some of my own thoughts about what we do with these. Um, Bueggemann again, because Bueggemann's written some great stuff on the Psalms and, and related issues. He says that to lament is to, to perform an act of faith. Because when we lament, we are, um, we are declaring that the world is not as we by faith know it should be. And we are directing our frustration, our grief, our anger, or whatever it is, we are directing that at the one whom we hold accountable for it. So it's, it's an act of faith in itself to lament, which I think is a really helpful perspective. Um, all of the psalms of lament bar one um, end with make their way through to a declaration of faith and worship and there's only one that doesn't I don't suppose anyone happens to know which one it is it's it's 88, Psalm 88 finishes um, in as as low as you can go really and it says, it concludes the darkness has become my closest friend or depending on what translation is but something to that effect but interestingly, all the others do make some way. That things haven't solved themselves, but they make some headway towards. Yet I will, yet I will declare this about God or whatever. But Psalm 88 is 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 a low, low psalm, and and these are given to us. i will talk about, a bit about that in a minute. Um, don't quite know how to pronounce his name actually. I think it's um, Eli Wiesel, who is the chap, uh, the Jew who wrote a lot about the Holocaust after it. He, he was a a survivor of one of the concentration camps. He says he can tolerate the memory of silence, but he can't tolerate the silence of memory, which is, needs a bit of thinking about, doesn't it? But he can, he can bear the memory of grief and the memory of that sense of God being silent, but he can't bear amnesia. He can't bear that these things be forgotten and glossed over. I guess, something like that. And I think, I think that's what's going on in the Psalms of Lament.
2: We've lost them, haven't we? We have. We've lost Psalms. We're so happy clapping. No, we're not. We're so happy (laughs) clapping. We're so. Oh Jesus, I love you. I know you are so wonderful. We forget that in our congregation, there are people saying, "God, I'm angry. I don't understand what's happening to me. What are you going to do about it?" And we miss the Psalms of lament.
0: Yes, we do. I absolutely agree. And there just aren't enough. There's a few around, but um, yes. Um, Grief and anger are an appropriate response to victimisation, whether it's our own victimisation or someone else's. It's it's right to get angry. We read this morning about Jesus in the temple. It was appropriate that he was angry. It was right that he was angry. Um, and one writer has called it a, a theological catharsis. We, we pour this out to God. It's not a, it's not a, a, a sort of futile pouring out in, into, a, into a vacuum. We direct this grief and this anger and this discontent at God as an act of faith. And, and it's appropriate that we do thinking a bit more along the lines of what um, Wiesel said um, another author I read said to forget is to submit to evil to wither and die but to remember is to resist and be faithful and live again and as soon as we forget and as soon as we gloss over we've, we've let that triumph as it were and I've, I've mentioned already the, um, that by and large there is this progression through lament to worship. And sometimes I get, you get the impression it's it's with gritted teeth um, that they say it. But they do. They they have done their theological catharsis and they say and so I will declare that God is good or that you, whatever, whatever they say at the end of these psalms. So how can we use the psalms of lament? Here's, here's a few thoughts. Um, that we should use these laments sometimes for others. That sometimes they will they will absolutely fit our circumstances. There's a there's a wonderful one. Um, one of my children was getting some some night terrors, and um, and obviously that happens at night. Happens about half an hour after the child goes to sleep, and. Um, it, it, uh, there's, there's a psalm that talks about my enemies return like dogs snarling every, every evening and it says this, it's a little refrain and it comes up two or three times and that just felt like absolutely the psalm to pray for her um, that was, just felt like words that God gave me to, to, to pray over her um, so sometimes absolutely they, they fit our circumstances really well but sometimes they are psalms that we use to lament on behalf of others, to lament for the persecuted church to lament for those um, in injustice, in, in greed, and uh, in, in injustice and poverty, and, and so on. So, um, yeah, one, one thought of, of how we might use lament. Um, the uh, so, uh, Proverbs twenty five twenty says it says this and it 's in the message because it 's particularly um, I like it in the message it 's quite bold but it, it, it's it 's genuinely there I think it says singing light songs to the heavy hearted is like pouring salt in their wounds and um, so I, I ask the question do we rush to offer cheap grace and quick platitudes um, and and miss out on the opportunity to lament with those in our body who need who need these um, god given Songs and vocabulary um, to be to be offered to them and, and and offered for their use and and for us together as a, as a congregation as a body to lament with them.
2: There was a time when my own um, sort of life, my reputation was under threat. Mm-hmm. I felt very unjustly. Psalm 64 became almost my daily cry to God where it talks about people sharpening their tongues mm. and making fans. Mm. And uh, it was a great comfort to think that in the Bible there was there was somebody who knew how I felt and I could talk to God about
0: it. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. So so I asked the question, what, what role should lament play um, in our own personal devotions but in our corporate worship as well? And I, I leave that question hanging, really. But um, I'm increasingly hearing that from different places, saying we need, to, we need more lament. So songwriters, get to it. <laughs> <laughs> In a climate where, you know,
1: we're very conscious of what's happening in the world and across the world, it's is really grim, and in our own country, you know, where people have really... And then you come to church and it's all very jolly, and sometimes you feel, actually, are we engaging properly with where the rest of the world's at? Even if you personally feel okay, there's something... And I, I, I just think that we are, we somehow should be engaging a bit better. Yes. So even if we personally are okay, what about... Know, the people that we should be concerned
0: for absolutely, there were churches who on the Sunday after 9-11 yes. did what they were planning to do anyway You know, and, and, and came in and you know, sang their songs of praise and worship and got on with the you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible dissonance isn't it and we that's need to I be heard part, yeah, sure. yeah. 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 yeah that's right mm-hmm. I think
1: preaching Christianity without pain is a dishonest Christianity
0: that doesn't exist. Yeah, absolutely. And Christianity—that's right—that that fixes everything and makes everything rosy—is—is—is is, is just right dishonest. And a few thoughts about Psalms of Violence. Um, what we might do with them. Actually, before you, before you look at what I've said, what do you do with the Psalms of Violence? Do you just ignore them? Do you use them? Do you w- wish they weren't there?
2: there? <laughs> it worth just reminding ourselves of Psalms of
0: Violence um, Yes. Here's one. 137, which we're going to look at in a little bit of detail in a minute, so we'll keep our fingers in it. So psalms of violence are psalms usually that say, Oh God, you know, slay my enemies, sort of thing. Um, Psalm 137. Psalm 137, which we all know and love, and we could sing like with Boney M. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept, when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, Sing us one of the songs of Zion, How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the rib of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried, tear it down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, Happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us, he who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Which I don't think Boney M included in their song actually. So there's an example. <laughs> what 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 are your thoughts about these songs? I don't like them. <laughs> I don't like them and I don't know how to handle them, so I just don't use them. use them, yeah.
2: <laughs> I heard a comment, somebody said the Psalms are written by men to God, not God to men. And I found that helpful mm-hmm. because because um, I know I'm supposed to forgive people, but at times I want to squeeze their neck. And when people have really been foul to me at times, I've gone home and beaten up the you pillow, know, literally. Said, God, this is what I feel like doing to them, but I'm
0: not
1: allowed to. And I just. I think the is probably doing that. Yeah. But yeah. That's how I sort of think. Yeah. Perhaps it's more of a man thing, actually. <laughs> might, be. But, uh, might be. Might be. I don't mean that too trivial because actually I do think the sort of rather physical aggression stuff is a bit more male. Mm. I'm not saying women don't have other issues, but I think actually physical violence is quite difficult for a lot of women to identify with mm, I, think that's interesting. I, I think it depends what social class you're from I grew up on a council state mm. and um, no I, I, I still have rage rise with me where I think I could punch somebody Hmm. Yeah. don't
0: mm. <laughs> <laughs> Ye- yet <laughs> let's um, sorry I was going I think one of them you can do with
2: it. Depending on reciting the, the psalm, you can view them as prayers against God's spiritual, you know, our spiritual forces against them.
0: You've just stolen my best point. <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's a few thoughts. <laughs> One less than I had before. <laughs> um, first of all, these psalms give us permission to be really honest with God about where we are. Um, there's no suggestion here that the psalmist sanitized things and cleaned himself up before he wrote these. And I think that is very liberating for us, that we can do exactly what you're just talking about, Dave, and go home and say, God, you know, this is how I feel. And, and that is very liberating and, 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 and very real. I think that's the first thing. The second thing to say, I think, is that they remind us that vengeance belongs to God. Let's just look at... Um, 1 Samuel 24, verse 12. 24, verse 12. Sorry, page? 209, 209 thank you. So, as, as you'll know, um, Saul had been after David at this stage for quite a few years, I think. Um, and David gets an opportunity to kill Saul. And he declined to do so. And in verse 12, he says this to Saul... Basically, he, he, he calls out to Saul after, after Saul has um, unwittingly just, just brushed with death. And he calls out to him across the valley. And, um, and they have this sort of shouted conversation. And he says, um, May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge, avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. And I think that's something else that's going on in the Psalms. Actually, God is a safe place. is a safe place to lodge these because vengeance belongs to him and he will do with them what he wants to do with them but they belong vengeance belongs to him not to us and it's a much safer thing to do to express our anger to god than to try and take matters into our own hands that's a second thought
2: it's a great idea, that you, but you're Christians now, so it's in the New Testament. "Vengeance is mine," said to the Lord. "I will repay." But so you pray the prayer, say, "Lord, you said this," and then you get reflection that you were very kind to me, and yes. I've got to allow you to be very kind to them.
0: Yes, and I, and I think these psalms need to be part of a journey. Um, we can't stay with these psalms if if we're going to use them. They need to be part of a journey of, of. Realising how much we've been forgiven, I guess. Um, quite a lot of the psalms of violence. Um, have a quick look at Psalm 83. Quite a lot of the psalms of violence are written um, in frustration that God's name is being dishonoured. Um, so Psalm 83: O oh God, do not keep silence; be not quiet, O oh God; be how not still; be not still. See how your enemies astir. Um, verse 5 with one mind they plot together they form an alliance against you Um, and verse 18 let them know that you whose name is the Lord that you alone are the most high over all the earth so some not all of them but some of these sums of violence are feel more like an expression of indignation on behalf of God being dishonored and I'm not sure that makes us feel entirely comfortable with them, but I do ask the question of when did I last get that hot under the collar, at God's, for the honour of God's name, and I, I leave that thought hanging really. <clears throat> now, this final point is is what I this is what I do with these psalms. I, I do what Stephen said really. I, I think we can use them because I think we can depersonalise the enemy, the enemies of God. Um, still exist and the enemies of God still need striking down and smiting and being trodden underfoot and the enemies of God are injustice and war and famine and child abuse and mental illness and keep going and I think we can use these psalms really powerfully when we depersonalize the enemies and we pray them against some of these forces Um, and and that's what I do with them sometimes. So, do you mean like the powers and principalities of this dark world? Yes, absolutely, and we can and we can make that more specific if we want to. You know, you hear about something in the news about oh, someone's been murdered or riots or whatever, and we can pray that against the. You can think of it in, in terms of spiritual powers or just in terms of concepts, almost the concept of all. But yes, so I think it's um I think it's Psalm 83 that says um. You know, let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace. We can say, I can say that 100% (coughs) happily about war and death and, you know, amen to that.
1: Honey, I just thought when you said about the different types of psalms, of I thought then, and the psalms
0: that say like this thing, but then they ask a question, the psalms that ask questions. There are are psalms that ask rhetorical questions. Why do you let this happen? How long are you going to make us feel abandoned? That sort of thing. There's a lot of psalms that say that. Yeah. Um, Right. And I also think that sometimes we we perhaps misread these psalms of violence. And I've heard some quite persuasive stuff recently. I want to give you an example. And we'll just look again at Psalm 137. Which... um, You've probably all just shut the page on. Okay, so what's the setting of 137? What's the chronological setting? So they have seen the Babylonian soldiers come, destroy, murder, rape, pillage, burn down their temple, demolish their city, and drag them away a thousand miles on foot, probably, to Babylon. So that's the context that they're writing in. And a context where it is entirely appropriate that they would feel grief and rage to an enormous extent. Okay, so that's that's one thought. Hold that thought. Now notice um, verse 5 that Jerusalem is personified. Jerusalem is addressed as a person. Okay, and um and in verse eight, Babylon is addressed as a person, daughter of Babylon. Happy is he who repays you for what you have done, okay, so Jerusalem and Babylon, two cities are being addressed as as a person being personified, right? Could somebody look up jackie, could you look up jeremiah four thirty one um Julie, could you look up lamentations two thirteen to fourteen? And Richard, could you look up Isaiah 47, 1-5? to So just listen for the personifications here. I hear a
1: cry as of a woman in labor, a groan as of one bearing her first child, the cry of the daughter of Zion, gasping for breath, stretching out her hands and saying, Alas, I'm fainting. My life is given over to murderers. Thank
0: you. So there we hear the daughter of Zion, Jerusalem, being described as a woman in labor. Lamentations.
1: Um, what can I say for you with what can I compare you O daughter of Jerusalem to what can I liken you that I may comfort you O virgin daughter of Zion your wound is as deep as the sea who can heal you the visions of your prophets were false and worthless they
0: did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity thank you so again you can hear that personification. and we've just got one for Babylon I think
2: Go down, sit in the dust, virgin daughter of Babylon. <clears throat> sit on the ground without a throne, daughter of the Babylonians. No more will you be called tender or delicate. Take millstones and grind flour. Take off your veil, lift up your skirts, bare your legs, and wade through the streams.
0: Thank you. So personification of cities and of, of Jerusalem and, and Babylon in particular is, is quite a, a common device. And it's being used in this psalm. Now then, so first of all, we need to, so hold in your mind that we're dealing with an, a, a situation of absolutely appropriate grief and rage. And secondly, look at the personification. Now, if Babylon is a woman, who are her children? Who are her children? Do you think:
2: inhabitants.
0: Yeah, her inhabitants and probably particularly her soldiers, th- th- who are the Babylonians that they've really had most c- contact with. So I'm fairly persuaded, this isn't my work, this is, um, this is someone else's work, but I'm quite persuaded that this is not about smashing babies' heads against rocks. This is about soldiers, this is about repay the children of Babylon, the, 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 your, the children of this woman, Babylon, in other words, the the, the soldiers, the ones who have done this to us, may they be repaid in this way. And then it starts to feel a little less (laughs) hideous, doesn't it? (laughs) So, just one example, and you you may or may not be persuaded, but sometimes I think we fail to to spot entirely what's going on, and, and they sound a bit worse than they need to in our ears. Right have gone to the final stretch. Just a few thoughts about the Psalms and Jesus. Um, and you'll be familiar, I'm sure, with Psalm 22, which sounds uncannily like a description of crucifixion, written about a thousand years before um, before Jesus and before crucifixion, I think, was invented. So how can we read the Psalms um, as Christians? The first thing to say is that um, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Psalms as he's the fulfillment of everything else in Scripture. But not necessarily in a, in a sort of an easy sort of, oh, there's a verse there, match that, you know, not that sense. But here's the fulfillment. Here's what the Psalms are yearning towards, what the Psalms are reaching towards, what they are longing for. And his fulfillment of the Psalms in two particular ways. Here's the Lord of the covenant. We know that God, the God of the Psalms, Is seen in the face of Jesus. So when we read about God in the Psalms, we can apply that to Jesus, fairly obviously. He is also the servant of the covenant. And so we can read the Psalms as spoken to Jesus, and we can read the Psalms as spoken by Jesus, as the faithful servant who would use the Psalms. So when we read a Psalm, it might be helpful to read with those two questions in your mind. How how does this sound if I say it to Jesus? How does this sound if Jesus is saying it? Everything we learn about God from the Psalms is true of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus lamented. Um, we see Jesus lamenting, we see him lamenting in Gethsemane. Um, we read about it in, in Hebrews five talks about him um, groaning and, and, and weeping. Um, Jesus we know lamented and 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 we can read the laments with that in mind. Um, there are psalms of confidence psalms of of knowing who God is and being and, and reaffirming our faith. In God, and we can read those affirming our faith in Jesus, but we can also read those as Jesus would have said them to His Father on Earth. There are a number of royal psalms, um, which are psalms of enthronement, psalms of celebrating the king, and those are psalms clearly written for a king, a a, a literal, you know, David or, or whatever. Um, but these are psalms that are, are reaching for God's final, ultimate King, in a sense. Um, and those are psalms that, that reach, as as with all the others, reach a, a deeper fulfilment when we read them as Christians. So look out for those, and and uh, yeah, don't be don't be tempted to, to as I say, to, to try and match, you know, verse to verse to uh, to something in the Gospels. But there's something sense of, of of this reaching forward to something. Um, he, he is the king par excellence. He is the king who fulfills everything that the earthly kings were supposed to do and, and never quite matched up to. And as we, um, as we remembered at the beginning of that Bonhoeffer quotation, Jesus used the Psalms. And I, I mentioned this last time, but um, there's quite good evidence, I think, quite good reason to think that Jesus was working his way through the Psalms on the cross we've got a number of quotations from Psalm 22 very clearly heard um, so you've got um, obviously you've got the very end of Psalm 22 he has done it which is the tetelestai the it is finished sort of same idea um, and there's one or two others from Psalm 22 that oh of course in the beginning sorry my God my God why have you forsaken me I think there's another one in there somewhere but I'll let you look out for that Um and then, if you read on to Psalm, and that's right, I think the I thirst is in one of these Psalms as well, somewhere. I'll let you spot that. Um, so, it does sound like most of the things that we hear him say from the cross are, you know, maybe snatches of him. And, and we know that the, um, that the Jews almost always read uh, scripture aloud and prayed aloud. And you can imagine him mouthing his way through the psalms and i guess occasionally something rises to audibility but you can imagine him doing that and then psalm 31 or 2 sorry psalm 31 verse 5 Would someone like to read that louisa thank you just the Thank you. Into your hands I commit my spirit. It does sound as if Jesus works his way through those psalms and gets that far and expires. And that just, I can't quite put into words how that feels actually. Makes them very, very precious. It's awesome, isn't
2: it? Because I get the impression that when he's being tempted, he's working his way through Deuteronomy. Mm. And you think that there he is under pressure and you wonder what he's doing with his mind. Mm. And he's just focusing on God's word and promise Mm when he's going through all that hell. Mm. Which is awesome, isn't it? It is, isn't
0: it? Mm. And hugely challenging. For how we deal with our little <laughs> minor issues or less minor issues, I guess.
1: Working through the first four rescue song, then, you, then take on a whole new element as well. In your order, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Mm-hmm. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Do my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your
2: name,
0: you lead and guide me, free me from the trap that is set for me. that you are my refuge. Into your hands I put my spirit. Do you got in it? Mm-hmm. It does, doesn't it? So that's that's sort of as far as I wanted to go. Um, I've just dropped in a few thoughts, really. Uh, it's it's such a big subject, but I hope it's some thoughts that might. Lodge and might want to mull on to develop a bit more and think a bit more about. Um, if anyone wants to read anything more about it, I, I can recommend one or two books. Um, shall we use um, Shall we use Psalm 150, the one we started with? Um, we'll we'll do it spoken word rather than joining with Duke Ellington this time, though. Let's. Um <laughs> oh, Chris wants to give us a solo. <laughs> Let's stand and read Psalm 150 together. we all there? Praise the Lord. Praise Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise Praise him him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you. (laughs)